little intro. I wrote my, I usually write my sermons on Wednesday to Friday in that time frame, and then I kind of leave it, come back Sunday. Well, a lot happened between then and this morning. And I had a whole intro written about security. Truly, I'm not kidding. I had a whole intro where I asked you guys to respond to me about what brings us feelings of security. I even had a line in there about how bulletproof backpacks are being sold in the school supply section this year. Oof, it makes me so mad. But I can't do it. I can't do that introduction today. I can't. I came into the office this morning at 7.30 and I deleted it all. Let me tell you, as a, uh, as a planner, it is not my go-to. And it is very stressful for me that when I hit that delete key, and I'm thankful for recovery software, but also I didn't use it. We are on week three of our summer series called The Good Life, and today this life does not feel all that good. It doesn't feel all that secure either. And we hear Jesus this morning tell his disciples not to worry, which, if I'm honest, creates just a special kind of rage deep in me this morning. But we promise together to gather around a table, around the promises, in a space like this, we promise to gather around the promise of something different. So the sermon you hear this morning will not quite be the sermon I wrote on Wednesday. It just can't be. And yet, despite how I'm feeling, my special rage this morning, we still have this same selection of Matthew's sixth chapter in front of us today. And it includes two very familiar verses that people quote regularly. You might even see someone quoting it on the internet today. Do not worry about your life. The other regularly quoted scripture verse is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think it's important to note how unusual it is that these two texts are read together. In the lectionary schedule, they are rarely read in order even. In fact, Matthew's first part of this sixth chapter is read during stewardship, usually sometime around November. And the Do Not Worry text is often found in Epiphany, our season of Epiphany, which is after Christmas, sometime in early winter. We can't ignore that they were never meant to be split into two parts. This section of Matthew's gospel is right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where we have been the past few weeks. This is Jesus' big sermon. It's his magnum opus. It's his TED Talk, right? The greatest hits, all there. It is the sermon that Jesus gives to clarify what it means that the kingdom of God is here now. It's the sermon that reminds us over and over and over again that God's kingdom does not look like the world around us. And on weekends like the one we just had, I am so thankful for that. I am thankful that we are a part of a kingdom that not only tells us that it's different, but it calls us to be different in that kingdom, to act differently. I am thankful that in this very Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to love and act, to pray and serve, to give and speak out against corruption and systems that right now are creating hatred and violence. It is hard to sit and hear this Sermon on the Mountain and feel any other way. Now, as I said, rarely are these two sections of Scripture preached together. 
but they were originally. And so that makes me wonder, what is missed when we split them up? Or maybe a better question is, what does generosity have to do with worry? Now, I think the connecting point between these two comes in verse 24. It's the transition verse between these two sections, but boy, does it pack a punch. Jesus has just said not to hoard your treasure, not to hoard your resources. He has said where your treasure is, there your heart is, which has often been an almost brutal check on how we spend our money. But then Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Boy, have we spent a lot of time in the church trying to get out of this one. We've said Jesus meant all sorts of things here to try to make it less complicated for our upper middle class lives we have here. But Jesus uses a word here that gives us a pretty good indication of what he's talking about. And when he moves from that word into the do not worry section, it makes it even more clear. He says you can't worship God or mammon. Now, most modern translations of scripture here will say wealth. You can't worship God or wealth because we don't actually have a better word in English for what that word means, mammon. It is the name used of the personification of wealth. It's like if wealth were a person you could worship, then its name would be mammon or mammon, however you want to say it. So Jesus is saying here that you have a choice. You can either worship your money or you can worship God. And then he moves into the don't worry passage. Now, I know I already said this about today in particular, but truly every time this passage has come up, I want to respond with a big old slice of sarcasm. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Jesus. Whatever you say, just don't worry. Oh, I mean, why didn't I think of that? It's just so simple, just don't worry. Not worrying has always felt to me like an impossibility. And no amount of Jesus telling me to not worry has actually changed my worrying. All it actually does is make me feel like I'm failing at not worrying. And I get the irony about worrying about not worrying. I fully, fully understand that here. But when this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain is placed in its context, it changes it for me. It's not really about worrying for the sake of worrying. Jesus says, when you make money your God, it means you have placed your faith, your heart, in the hands of a finite God, little g, God. When you make money your God, you place your faith and your heart in the hands of a finite God. See, money is finite. There is an end to it. So when we worship money, what happens? We worry. We worry we don't have enough. We worry we don't make enough or that our house isn't nice enough or our car isn't good enough. Not enough, not enough, not enough. It's never enough and it messes with our heads. And then we grab and stockpile and hoard and count until it runs out because it will. It's finite. So then we look at each other as the enemy taking what is rightfully ours and we demonize anyone who might be competing with us for money or jobs or space. Sound familiar? But God, God is infinite. And God's economy does not operate like our economy. God's economy cannot be stockpiled 
or counted or hoard. And suddenly, not worrying becomes an option in God's economy. Because we can't run out of love. So what is there to worry about? We can't run out of blessings from God. God's economy operates in abundance instead of scarcity. And when you operate in abundance, everything changes. My neighbors have a tart cherry tree in their front yard. It is beautiful, and it is full every early July of tart cherries. And it falls all over the sidewalk in the yard, and they always say, come, 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 everybody come. We, we have all we need. Anybody in the neighborhood, just come and pick what you need. We've got more than enough. We made all our jam. We made our pies. We made all the things. There's more than enough. We can't possibly eat them all. So come on over. When we recognize our abundance, it leads to generosity. And I want to share a video that Nick has and you guys give him props because I gave him this literally four minutes before worship started this morning. So, uh, of this exact kind of abundant generosity. Recognizing abundance leads to generosity. When we see how much we have, then we are more willing to share it. See, the worship of money competes with God for our hearts. And the idolatry of money competes with God for our worship. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he put these two things together. And I think we miss something when we preach on them separately. Generosity is directly tied to worry. And worry is tied to our fears about security and scarcity. Jesus says, look at the wildflowers, the birds around you. Now, this was easy for him to say. They're sitting on a field overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's like they don't worry. God provides for them. And are you not more important than birds and flowers? Money won't take care of you. So why do you give it so much of your time and your energy? Your gun won't take care of you. So why do you give it so much time and energy? Your whiteness won't take care of you. So why do you give it so much time and energy? Your country won't take care of you. So why do you give it so much time and energy? I am mad because I recognize the false God that I continue to worship. And it falls apart every time. Worship God. Seek after things God seeks after. When you recognize the kingdom of God is limitless and infinite, and the love of God is limitless and infinite, then you start to understand that our generosity is tied to the rest of what Jesus has been saying on that mountain. Who is the beneficiary of your generosity? Is it you? When we worry about money and security and we worship wealth 
and possessions, it distracts us from seeking justice. It distracts us from seeing others. Just look at our society. This reality is everywhere around us. You cannot worship God and Maimon. You have to make a choice. We have the opportunity to make this choice again and again. And let me tell you, God's economy is so much better than the world's economy. The kingdom of God is so much better than the kingdom of this world. And the way we participate in God's economy is by first recognizing abundance. And it is so much simpler than we think it is. It doesn't have to be the big things. I, I took a picture this week, and Nick has it for the screens. That right there is my dwarf cherry tomato plant. It is this big. It's like the size of a volleyball. Because we decided to let our garden have a jubilee year, and we didn't plant anything in it this year, except for weeds. But I planted a cherry tomato, dwarf cherry tomato plant in a pot, and that thing is covered with cherry tomatoes. I think yesterday we got 15. It is just every morning I walk out on my deck and I see new fruit. It is so abundant. It is such a dumb thing, cherry tomatoes, who cares? But also every day it's in front of my face. Look, look, look at the abundance in front of me. Now in scripture, the example that Jesus most often uses to show abundance is not money, but bread. When he feeds the multitudes, what remains is an abundance of bread. So this morning, intentionally, we have real bread. And when you eat it, when you hold out your hand and you hear the words, for you, I want you to be reminded of what it means that we have a God who operates in a system of abundance, not scarcity, not fear, not hatred, not capitalism, but abundance. And I want us to think about this. So before you come forward, if you choose, I want you to write something down on one of those little sticky notes in the pews. Pass them down, do all you need to do. And I want you to write one word or a sentence, but I don't, it's a sticky note, so no paragraphs, all right? One word or a sentence of something that is a way you've experienced abundance. Cherry tomatoes. And I want you to write it on one of those papers, and then there's two blue buckets on your way back from communion. Just stick it right in there. I want you to take some time. See how much God has provided. Because the kingdom of God is about abundance. And there's a lot of stuff happening now that doesn't belong there. And recognizing that is the first step. And our abundance actually starts here, at this table, in this place, where it was on the night in which he was betrayed, that our Lord Jesus took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat this is my body. It is given for you in abundance. Do this in remembrance of me.
Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. All right, so my notes for my closing literally say, read these and don't cry. <laughs> we can all laugh. Um, but I'm just going to read a few of them. Uh, and I want you guys to hear these, <laughs> hear them uh, for what they are, which is a recognition of the abundance in our lives. So love from my family. Many wonderful fellow Prince of Peace members for love to our extended family for our financial freedom for my wife for kids for love given and love received for the blessings of my grandchildren for the abundance of beauty in nature, for our son and his family, for our bountiful garden, my wife. Those are gonna make me cry. For grace, for the gifts I've received. Oh, there's so many that say love on here. For green beans. for family for the love of my parents for family for leftovers for grandma for stability for more clothes than I need for Prince of Peace, for love, for love, for love. For garden produce, not just tomatoes. <laughs> um, I'm gonna put these, I'm gonna get some helpers, I know there's a few of you who'll be willing to, to stick these out on a window in our Welcome Center. And I encourage you to go and take a look at the abundance that's around us because I truly believe that when we focus on the abundance in our lives and we have no other option than to give. And, and how we give is by not just thoughts and prayers. We give by action. We give by looking for the least and the lost and the outsider and the excluded because that's where Jesus started this message. The kingdom of God is here and you are blessed. So do we take our abundant blessings with us as we go into a world that is operating in a different economy and we go defiantly operating in a different one, one that is infinite, that sends us out to serve and love God. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord.